Season 3, coming at you like Karate's Bad Boy, Tournament Terror Mike Barnes, letting you know that we own you, that your karate is a joke, all while savvily negotiating for a 50% stake in your rapidly expanding dojo franchise. <laughs> that was very specific. That was very, very it, was, it was very specific, and you'll see why for a reason. I am excited about today's guest. Uh, uh, but, uh, before we get there, I am Rylan Grant, uh, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and, uh, Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right is... David Avaloni, uh, filmmaker, comic book writer, and, uh, coffee achiever. Love coffee achiever. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes, uh, featuring, uh, uh, comic and film luminaries like... David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Zakai, Kevin Eastman, and Rodney Barnes, uh, uh, who is, uh, you know, Winning Time just uh, premiered. Did you see it, Epiloni? I did. I Great did. Episode. I really liked the first episode. Yeah, blew my mind. Loved yeah. it. Uh, loved yeah. every second of it. I, I don't think I've laughed that hard, uh, uh, you know, with a TV show in a long time. Go yeah. see Winning Time. Uh, congrats, Rodney. Uh, but anyway, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes. I'm going to skip one uh, for a very specific reason. But uh, you can find it on all purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it out. Um, great show for you today. As I said, I'm very excited. But do you have plugs before we uh, get started, Evaloni? I don't. You don't have don't plugs. Okay, I will just say that the uh, the collected edition of my latest and greatest comic endeavor, uh, Suicide Jockeys by Sourcepoint Press, uh, Tokusatsu uh, for the discerning American action movie uh, uh, junkie, um, should be available in uh, your local comic shop. So go on, uh, go on down there and check it out. But um, very nice. Let's let's, uh, let, let's get going. This is going to be and gentlemen, Sean Kanan. Hey guys, how are you, Sean? Howdy, hey, howdy, howdy. Hey, Ryland, listen. Uh, you know, I've worked in Hollywood for a while, and I think if you guys are going to have any hope at success for your show, you need to start with a more high energy opening. It is a little, could, you know, I... it is a little, yeah. it is a little sleepy, you know, as it goes. I like to wake everybody up. It's uh, it's my professional wrestling background, but yeah, done. Something yeah. has to counterbalance my absolute lack of energy. So, uh, Sean, tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself. By oh, way of God. You know, you know, every time, every time I'm asked to tell people about myself, I, I have this little voice in my head says, "Don't sound like a douche." Um, <laughs> Well, what can I tell you? Uh, I'm originally from Western Pennsylvania. I came out to Hollywood in 87 to finish my degree at UCLA in political science. Uh, I've been working, you know, since then. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, I'm currently, currently you can see me as Deacon Sharp on The Bold and the Beautiful, which is the most syndicated show in the world. We're celebrating our 35th anniversary this year. Um, a, a lot of people recognize me as Mike Barnes, Karate's Bad Boy uh, from Karate <laughs> Kid 3. Tournament and, Terror. Uh, tournament Terror. And uh, what else can I tell you? Um, uh, I'm an author. I've, uh, I've written three books. Um, dog lover. Uh, love to cook. Study foreign languages. Um, yeah. That's a lot. That's, That's a lot. lot. That's a lot. And I think that, you know, we, we talk to creators on this show and I think, you know, one of the main reasons that I know Ryland was fascinated by your, your, your path is that transition from actor to novel, to writer yeah, and, you know, writing bestsellers. How did, what prompted you to make that change or what prompted you to expand into that area just to get right to it? Well, I, I've, I've written for as long as I can remember. Um, probably the first professional thing that I ever did was a film that I uh, produced called Chasing Holden, uh, which Lionsgate distributed, a uh, story about a young kid who runs away from boarding school to go find J.D. Salinger. Um, my father, who was uh, a very successful business guy uh, and ran our family business, which was a, a large chain of jewelry stores, um, segued into writing himself. He's written probably seven or eight books. So I've always kind of been surrounded by it. Uh, oh, and wow. Yeah. You know, here's a funny thing. I, I was giving some thought to uh, an event that I have tomorrow where I'm going to be addressing a group of people about my book. And I was thinking what I was going to say to them. And, you know, it, it occurred to me that I initially became an actor 
you know, because I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to have a voice. Uh, I wanted to express myself. I, I love to entertain people. But as I've gotten older, and specifically when I started writing my, my new book, Way of the Cobra, it really crystallized for me that the reason I became an actor is very much the reason that I became uh, more involved with my writing. And that's because I truly love to inspire people. And I, I realized as I have gone down the path in my life that, um, you know, acting was only one conduit to do that. And uh, I, I've been having a, a great time and having some success doing it as a writer now. And so uh, uh, the genesis of my first book, um, what was that? You know, I don't really know what the impetus was to write it. It's uh, uh, The Modern Gentleman Cooking and Entertaining with Sean Kanan. And it's a, a really fun hybrid cookbook. Um, you know, a lot of chapters in it about how to be the best guy that you can be, uh, letting women have a bit of a behind the curtain look at how men think. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always been interested in um, motivation, inspiration, things like that. And so I started, you know, writing stuff and, and, and slowly creating what would later become Way of the Cobra. So writing has always been a part of what I've done, but really in the last uh, you know, five, six years, I've, I've started, uh, uh, putting a lot of energy into it. Sure. It, it, interesting. Go, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to go off on a new thing. So why don't you? Oh, no, I, I was just going to say it's, it's interesting. I mean, we talk with a lot of creatives obviously. And, um, I mean, I think that a, uh, I don't know, a theme that, that is sort of developed, you know, over, uh, whatever these, uh, these, you know, three seasons, has been, um, I don't know, fighting this creative battle on a lot of fronts. You mm. know, I mean, I, I it, just going into my own story. I mean, I, um, I, you know, I, I wrote in Hollywood for about you know fifteen years, right? And um, when I first, you know, when I first started screenwriting, it was like you know, uh, sold a script halfway through AFI, and then haven't had to do anything else since. Um, but that's great. But 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 for a few years, you know. It, it was it was kind of the the age of the original idea, right? If you had you had a great idea, you wrote a script. If it was good, you sold it, right? Um, and did that for a couple of years, but then the financial crisis hits uh, mm -hmm. right around the time the writer strike happens. Mm -hmm. Hollywood completely remakes the way they they do business, right? Um, mm -hmm. Suddenly, you can't sell an original idea to save your life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and 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 what what happens is the age of IP, right? Uh, it coincides with this. Everything needs to be based on something—a novel, uh, right. a book, a comic book, whatever. Suddenly, you know, I, a couple of lean years there, couldn't sell anything to save my life, and finally, I get the bright idea. Okay, well, you know, as mm -hmm. as my screenwriting pals are kind of falling by the wayside and moving back to Pennsylvania to sell insurance and all of those things, it's like, okay, well, if they want IP why don't I just give them IP, right? And so shifted gears and started writing uh, short stories and novels and comic books and, and finding success in those mediums. Um, and then the irony is after that, then Hollywood comes calling and they want all of those things. And then, <laughs> and then suddenly, I'm, you know, suddenly I'm, I, mean, I would say for the last probably eight years of my career, um, I have been almost exclusively paid to write TV shows and films based on comic books and and stories I've I, I've written but it was that expan expansion that, that that really saved me it was uh if yeah. I had, um if I had stuck to my guns like a lot of my friends did and right. I had only been a screenwriter I'm a screenwriter yeah. I'm not gonna mess with short stories I'm not gonna mess with comics I'm not gonna mess with you know fucking nfts or or, right. or or anything else that everyone's doing right now um I would be back in Michigan doing God knows what I don't I I, I right. don't know but it was when when I when I when I stop being a writer, or you know, when you stop just being an actor, and may, maybe maybe you were never just an actor, but you know what I mean. Right. I think I think I think when when all of us realize, okay, well, I need to be fighting this battle on ten different fronts. I, I have I have something to say, and if they won't let me say it as a screenwriter, this way, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. If, if they put a wall in front of me, I'm going to I'm going to walk down the wall and find a door, or, or I'm going to go over the wall, or I'm going to kick my way through it. I'm going to find another way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to reach any level of success in the entertainment business. And, and 
you know, for me, I've always felt that having multiple irons in the fire is a really good strategy. And, you know, Darwin said that it's not the strongest of the species that survives, it's the most adaptable. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, um, you know, I've, I've always had an eye towards recreating myself when necessary. Um, and, you know, sometimes the acting is firing on all pistons and sometimes it, when that's not the writing is and, you know, uh, also my producing, I mean, I've been uh, very busy uh, producing as well. And what's, what's really fun is that now, you know, there's a nexus with all three of them and they're all sort of working pretty well right now. And, uh, and that's, and that's really exciting. But I, you know, I think also, um, that each of them probably on some level satisfy, uh, a different, um, you know, they scratch a different creative itch, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, as an actor, it can be very disempowering. I mean, if you're not Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, yeah. you're like, a, you're like another schmuck waiting for someone to hire you. And it's a very, um, it can it can be very disempowering and if you're not careful that sense of disempowerment uh turns to um you know frustrate frustration and resentment and none of that's any good um and uh you know as a producer i've got the ability to you know create something and hire people and 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 make projects that i want to make and, you know, as a writer, you've got the creative um, ability that you're, you're there from the embryonic state of the idea, hopefully to the fruition of seeing it, you know, as, as a finished product. So, uh, but act, and acting is my first love. And, you know, there's nothing more I love than when I'm actually acting. You know, I think a, a lot of people don't realize, but, you know, most of an actor's career, unless you're very fortunate, is spent in the pursuit of work rather than the actual work. Mm -hmm. And I, I hate the business of acting. I really do. It's, I just don't, you know, auditions have almost nothing to do with acting, uh, but that's the only real barometer people can use other than um, past work. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I like to, I like to have my, my kind of fingers in all three pies. Sure. That, that, that's, that's another thing that comes up, you know, over and over again is, um, uh, you know, we all are sort of subject to gatekeepers, right? I mean, whether it's like, whether it's comics, whether it's film, whether it's, you know, a, a film as a writer, film as an actor, um, you are waiting for a gatekeeper to give you permission to do your work, to make your movie, right. to, to, to hand you the role that you, that you fall in love with. Right. Um, and that's a very frustrating, uh, place to be. It's not, um, you know, it's not, we are used to this thing, you know, you, you, you grow up and it's like, okay, well, you know, if you work hard, you know, then success comes. So you get what you put in, all these things. Well, yeah. those rules don't apply in, yeah. in film and in comics or anything. It's, no. not always, it's not always the best man or woman that gets the job, right? There, there's a lot of other stuff. And there is this, this again, this theme that has developed over the course of, of these three seasons we've done. Uh, about kind of taking your power, you know, uh, right. away from the gatekeepers, right? Um, right? Going off and making your thing. I mean, um, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I get this this TV series going. We just sold to, to Lionsgate now, and it's with uh, David, David Diggs and, and Raphael Casal. David from uh, from Hamilton, and and wow. uh, they're they're doing the blind spotting TV series on on stars. But those are two really interesting studies, and I think you have a lot in common with these guys because it's like you know they were they were actors and they were you know they lived they were living in the Bay Area you know when they're musicians and actors, and it's like how the hell do we I don't know you know kick our way into this into business? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of these things, and and they they were sitting there waiting for someone to say you and choose them, and some you know one of the gatekeepers to let them in the door, and finally they just said fuck this, um, we're gonna do our own thing. I mean that right. that, that you know with with you know Lin Manuel that was how Hamilton happened. You know, uh, um, yep. okay, well, I, well, no, 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 you know there aren't roles for people like like me like us, so let's do our own thing. Um, and then with David and Rafa, it's like, okay, well, well, you know, there aren't the roles for us. There, there aren't people saying the things that we think need to be said on film right now. So let's make our own film. Let's make our own TV series. And now, and now it's going. And I, I feel like you have, you know, often done the same thing. I mean, uh, um, I mean, we haven't, we haven't formally talked about it yet, but, uh, um, 
you know, you you have this great Emmy-winning uh, uh, TV show on on Amazon Prime right now that is uh, that you know kicking ass and taking names. And I feel like, you know, I don't know. That's kind of the the conclusion to 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 your story in that that sort of form, right? No, I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I think anymore, if you want to be a successful actor, you really need to develop your acumen as a as a producer. And if you're able to write, you need to incorporate that too. Um, you know, I, I think every every actor should have sort of a, a, a pet project, a, a calling card that is something that they are just consistently, you know, trying to get made. I mean, it took me 15 years to get uh, Studio City made. Uh, you know, it was a very long and arduous um, journey. I think the good news now, though, is that with the advancements in technology, with even with you know iPhones, everybody and the internet, everybody has the ability on some level to go out and shoot something and put it up in a meaningful way where other people can see it. Mm -hmm. You know, when I when I when I came out in '87 to start acting, I mean, you know, people would always say, "Well, do you have any tape? You know, do you have any any uh, you know VHS tape that we can look at of something that you've done and if you're a young actor that hasn't gotten a break yet you know you're really uh limited in what you can do you know maybe you're lucky enough to get into a play you have some commercial tape you know you you, you pay to film a scene or something like that but I I tell young actors now when they ask for some advice I say there's no excuse now for not creating something and getting it out there and you know go meet a guy that wants to be a cinematographer go meet a guy that wants to be you know a, a lighting director uh or uh, you know somebody that wants to be a costume uh designer and and get together and you know everybody brings like one guy brings a potato one guy brings a carrot you all throw it in the pot and you make stew yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I came out the same year you did i was out in 87 and when the technology all through the nineties, I was kind of chasing the technology of filmmaking, making it cheaper and cheaper. In yeah. 97, I made a feature film, a martial arts film for really? $15,000, comma zero 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 point zero zero. Who was the lead and, in it? Uh, and it had a ton of action scenes in it. Uh, TJ Storm was the stunt coordinator, if you know TJ. He's really great. But uh, I think TJ won an award for being the mocap Godzilla in recent Godzilla movies, which cracks me up. Yeah. He's this beautiful, graceful man. Yeah. You put pajamas on him with green balls and he's Godzilla, which I think is amazing. But That's all funny. that to say, it's there are a couple of things about that. One is I always encourage everyone on every end of the arts to do more than one thing and to do multiple things. I think sure. actors who don't understand how movies are made do themselves an enormous disservice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would always tell people when they would, you know, want to get jobs in restaurants or whatever. I was like, I've gotten more acting jobs by being a grip who they could throw in a police uniform than you uh, will ever get waiting funny. tables in Beverly yeah. Hills. It's just not gonna, it's not gonna happen. But if you're a PA, someone might say, Hey, can yeah. you play the nurse in this scene? Cause we were short, you know, yeah, so sure. like, that's a much easier. And also I know so many actors who came out of college and had a great acting education and they're terrified on film sets and they're, they have difficulty on film sets because they walk into a room and they don't know what anyone is doing. They don't know why anyone is yeah. doing what they're doing. Yeah. Whereas if you walk into a room and you can look around and know who yeah. everyone is, yeah. 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 Doing, your acting does not suffer from no, no, everybody's job as best you can, yeah. you, you know, yeah. um, I, I just feel like you know, and it's it's all interconnected too. I mean, you know, you need to have somewhat of a working knowledge of why things are being lit the way they are, how to find your light, uh, you know, what lens the uh, you know the DP is using, uh, because it 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 determines some of your performance, how you, how you want to how you want to perform. I mean, if you're on a super tight lens and you're you know, performing like you're uh, at the Amundsen Theater for the people in the back, uh, ain't gonna work. So I had, a, uh, I had a film acting teacher once, and I think he showed me the. There's a shot in High Noon that mm -hmm. starts relatively close on Gary Cooper. It's the most famous shot in the movie, and then tracks up into the sky. Wow! And close yeah. up, 
Gary moves his eyes from left to right. Yeah. It's all he does. When yeah. the camera's 30 feet away and in the air, he takes his hat off and wipes the sweat off his brow with his arm. Yep. It's yep. the same amount of, of, of picture being moved as his eyeballs was. Yeah. Yeah. But he is calculated. Okay. The camera is 30 feet away from me. Now the big physical gesture sure. that we read from across. Yep. And if you don't know that if you don't think about that, if you don't think about the camera is an inch away from my face, I do this, the camera is 30 feet away from my right, face. I right. do all of this other stuff to make, yeah. you know, to get attention. It's a, it's a very technical job. And the more you know about it, the better you are at it in general. Absolutely. And per being a writer, it's all, all storytelling. And if you're good at it, you're focusing on the aspect of your gig, of your job that is, yeah. that you are telling a story and you are part of telling a story. Yeah, I think one of the other really huge assets of um, refining your ability to write as an actor is it, it comes into play when you get a script. Now, you have to have the latitude by the director or the powers that be to allow you to play with the dialogue. But I can't tell you how many times I have um, rewritten dialogue and not only increased the size of my performance, but improved my performance. Sure. Uh, because, you know, I, I dialogue is something that's kind of my forte. And uh, if you have the ability to do that, boy, you can really do yourself a huge service. I mean, you don't want to be that guy that walks onto set and, and you know, uh, you know, insult the other actor you're working with and the director and the writer and say, I've rewritten this whole scene. But, <laughs> you know, I, I am, uh, I'll tell you what, when I was in fourth grade, I was doing Romeo and Juliet. And I swear to God, I asked the teacher if I could change one of the lines. And so like, it, that's where it started. You know, I was already rewriting Shakespeare in fourth grade. So uh, well, look, not all that Shakespeare stuff plays well. Yeah, that guy, what a hack. Well, he wasn't writing for, for your fourth grade class in the 70s. But, uh, but yeah, I always point out that Harrison Ford's two big movie star making moments were written by him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, most, shooting the, shooting most, the Arab Swordsman and Raiders of the Lost Ark and yeah. I Love You, I Know in The Empire Strikes Back, which are the huge yeah. moments in both of those movies, yeah. are Harrison Ford on set saying, I don't want to say that. I want to say this. I don't want to do that action. I want to do this action. And, you know, yes, Lucas and Spielberg made him a star, but those are the moments that really made him a star. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, I think, I think the thing with an actor is, you know, our job is to take what is on the script and do our best to elevate it to being the absolute best it can be. And, uh, you know, normally that comes, um, uh, you know, from performance, but sometimes it comes from, uh, you know, um, tweaking stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, and look, you, you know, we all know there's as much bad writing as there is bad acting and you get people right. writing, writing things that they don't know that, you know, better than they, yeah, but I don't even always think it's, I don't always think it's even a function of it being bad writing. I think mm -hmm. there are times when, you know, you can write something that really, um, as the actor in that role, uh, you think you can take something and just make it that much better. I don't always, you know, I don't want to disrespect writers and say, Oh, it's because, you know, normally I got to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. It's, it's not that it's just, you know, I'm constantly thinking how I can, uh, how my character can win. I mean, that's what it's about as an actor, how as human beings, we all want to get what we want. We use different actions to get them and we're faced with obstacles. Same as with the character that you're playing. You know, mm -hmm. you've got kind of this macro objective and within the scenes and even beats within the scene itself, you're trying to accomplish different things. And if you come up with a way that you think, wow, I might be able to try and accomplish this better by making this little tweak, then, you know, it's it's good for it's good for the film and it's good for uh, it's good for your character. Well, well, here's the thing: is I, I mean, a script is not it's not a finished product, right? It is a blueprint for something else. 
right? And uh, and like any blueprint, right? It's it works great on paper, right? And then you get down on the ground, and it's like, okay, well, this you know uh, this lot isn't as level as we thought it was, so we got to change this up. Right. Uh, you know this uh, you know, this wall thing's not going to work for this reason. We got to adjust. We got to adjust. You're adjusting on the fly, right? And right. Um, and, and and actors are in such an interesting position because you know a writer a, a writer is away from it and is is imagining a world well okay right. now, now we're actually now we're actually creating the world and the director has 45 million things on that he's own. that he's worried about yeah yeah, exactly. yeah 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 but you are actually living the part living the role right and yeah. uh and and in some cases it's okay well you've been doing it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months on this film sometimes it's okay well you've been playing this character for five years um right. and right. and who am i to tell you what your character, John, you know, what <laughs> would do in this scene, right? Uh, uh, and, and, and here's the thing is like, um, you're not always going to be right, but right. but but having lived in this character's shoes, uh, right. in this character's psyche for so long, if I'm not open to listening to what you have to say, right. uh, uh, you, you know, we, we talk about this a lot here. It's like the, you know, the, the best idea wins, right? Um, yeah. uh, you know, anyone who thinks that they have a monopoly on the best idea is an idiot. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something Avalone says, it's like, if the, um, you know, I, best, I agree. Yeah. Best idea wins. And if it's the craft service guy, amazing. If it's the actor, even better. Absolutely. A, a, friend, a friend of mine was a PA on Hill street blues. And when Michael Conrad pace, passed away, uh -huh. main characters, the, I think it was Boschko like got everyone together and said, how should we deal with this? Right. And my ex-girlfriend who was the PA said, I think he should die having sex with Sharon Lawrence. And everybody <laughs> went. Oh man, that is freaking awesome! We're doing. I remember. That. The, I remember the scene. Yeah, and I and again, it. that was Stephen Bochco listening to a PA and going, "Oh yeah, that's the that is absolutely the best story beat." And it's to me, it's the greatest part of the job because you know I've been in that situation where you're where you're on a set and you feel like no one's helping you and you feel like yeah. nothing is getting better and yeah. you know every problem is being magnified so the minute someone says here let me let me make this better right, right. Go, oh man that's yeah. what a relief that's uh, <laughs> mana from heaven right yeah, yeah yeah and 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 also and then you know and obviously down the road you'd be gracious about it and you say yeah sure. he came up with that because it was yeah. brilliant yeah sure you know? but, I, I, uh, yeah. So, so if I can, if I can sort of, you know, take things in another direction slightly, and and you know, go go into, I mean, specifics of your books, but more of um, I mean, there was this. I don't know what to say. I mean, at some point, I mean, you're writing, yes, and you are creating TV series and telling stories, also, but you seem to have this um. It's this second career as a uh, as like a coach, a motivator, yeah. Uh, yeah. an inspirer of of men and women, and uh, and that's really what uh, um, and that's really what Way of the Cobra is about, right? And that's what you know that's what Modern Gentleman uh, yeah. was about in a way. Um, it is you know I mean it's really your story of okay okay well you're telling us your story of this is how I bettered myself right yeah. and, yeah. and 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 if you can take something from it. Uh, uh, great, but I thought that was very interesting. And then, you know, and then I'm looking online and you're releasing Way of the Cobra, you know, which you can talk about more here, but then also you have a, you have a, a motivational retreat associated with the book yeah. in, in Peru, which seems, you know, mind blowing and, and yeah. awesome. Uh, uh, so, so, uh, you know, so, so how, how did that turn come about and, 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 you know, tell us about it. Well, I guess, I guess the genesis of that was uh, shortly after my 50th birthday. Uh, you know, I found myself at a place where I had experienced some pretty good success in my life. I had had a couple of epic failures, uh, some of which were rather um, uh, public. And uh, you know, I, I was looking in the mirror, going, "Okay, what's next, man? What's 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 your next act here?" And I wasn't readily coming up with an answer. I, I was 35 pounds overweight. I had no uh, prospects for acting work. And I was uh, interacting with some old demons. And uh, I was like, you know, man, I gotta, I gotta do something different here. And I gotta do it really quickly. And so rather than wait for my ship to come in, I decided I was gonna build the damn ship. Mm -hmm. I had to figure out how. 
And so I started doing some thinking about the times in my life when I felt absolutely invincible, when I just couldn't lose. And one of those times was when I, when I got the role of Mike Barnes in the Karate Kid 3 from an open call of over 2,000 people. And so I started doing some things very <clears throat> differently and very quickly I started experiencing some tremendous results. And in that year, I lost the 35 pounds. I wound up uh, eventually getting Studio City on the air, which eventually won me uh, an Emmy. And um, I, uh, I finished my second book, uh, Success Factor X, which became an Amazon new release bestseller. And you know, I don't say that to, um, you know, I don't say that uh, as a way of um, look what I did. It's, it's a way of saying, look what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so I started putting together all of these strategies and the philosophy that I was using. Uh, and um, I decided I was going to put it in the, in the construct of uh, me being a sensei and you're a student in my dojo, the dojo of life. Cobra life. Cobra is an acronym formed from the words character, optimization, balance, respect, and abundance. And uh, I divided the chapters up into belts. And I used, I used some autobiographical stories to illustrate some of the points. And, uh, you know, I'll I tell you, I, I say this all the time, but I, I do podcasts because, sure, I want to sell books. But I want to get the word out there because I honestly believe with every fiber of my being that the information in this book is transformative. Uh, the tagline of this book is unleash your inner badass. Everyone has one. And, you know, look, I, I also say, you know, before you think I'm, you know, on top of some mountain in Kathmandu levitating three feet above the ground, I'm a guy that's made every one of these mistakes half a dozen times over. That's a lie. Not half a dozen times, a dozen times. And, uh, you know, if I can act as a sensei, which is a teacher, um, you know, helping to point out some of the uh, less obvious pitfalls uh, as other people make their journey to achieve their success. Uh, you know, I, I want to do that. And uh, I say at the very, very beginning of the book, look, I got good news and I got bad news. And if you're like me or Don Corleone from The Godfather, you insist on getting the bad news first. So here it is. I said, I don't have the answer. All right. I don't have a magic you know, a silver bullet or a magic elixir that's going to immediately transform you into this uber successful beast that we all want to become, which in my book I call a cobra. Here's the good news. It's like the Zen koan. How did the ship get in the bottle? It was already there. Everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to figure out how to let it out. And so what I do in the book is teach you how to let it out. That's great. I, I, I appreciate the the mission, you know, I mean, it, it, it is, it, it is sort of like in line with the mission of the show. I think, I mean, this show grew out of, um, you know, uh, Avalone and I, and, and some others doing, um, how to panels at, at comic cons. Right. And, 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 you know, I swerved, I, I had been writing in Hollywood for, I don't know, a dozen years or so. And, um, my, you know, you know how it is in Hollywood. I mean, you can write maybe five different kinds of movies, right? <laughs> you know, uh, they they want them written a certain way, sure. um, and I got pretty damn good at writing those movies. I can I can right. write them in my sleep, right? I, I mean, they they bought this house, but but um, but you know, I I got I hate to be the guy who complains about getting paid to write movies, but like it got I got tired of it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, you don't, don't want to be you don't want to become derivative of your own work. Yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I, was, I completely understand that. Yeah, I was not expire, inspired. I was not excited, and and the worst thing was that my work got stale. That was yeah. that, that that was the biggest deal. And so yeah. the you know part of moving into comics, you know, I mean, of course, it's generating IP, and and they won't let me tell my story in Hollywood, so let me tell it in another format and and in that way. But really, in comics, you could do whatever you want, however you want. As long as it was good, you were going to find an audience for it. You were going sure. to find a publisher. And so I was able to let loose. I was able to like, you know, like purge all of my creative demons and kind of go crazy right. and have fun. And it sort of reinstilled, you know, my, my, my love of, of yeah. writing and, and, and creating. So that was very important for me, but I didn't just dive into it. I had to learn how to do this shit. Right. 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 And, um, and so, you know, I've been doing it, I don't know, probably five or six years now in the, in the comic business, but, you know, so six, seven, eight years ago, I was the guy sitting in a panel at a Comic-Con trying to figure out how to do this stuff. 
and I'm listening to creators, you know, give me, give me how to's and I'm getting some good information. I'm getting a lot of really bad information. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it took me a very long time to sort through all of it. And at some point I had all of the, the, the right information. information, the right information. Right. Right. Um, and I, and, and, and it empowered me and it got me to where I wanted to go, but now I'm sitting on this treasure trove and it felt so selfish to, um, to, uh, you know, to, not to share it with, with the rest of the world. And so right. maybe it'll be a book at some point. I don't know that I have the time to do it at this point to, to write a how-to book, but it, you know, it would probably be, you know, it, it would probably be a, a, a pretty, you know, a, a pretty good one, but, um, but really what it translated to is like, okay, well, I have all this information now and people are still sitting in those panels and, uh, and they're getting bad information. And so right. why, why don't I, you know, why don't I do a, a panel uh, at San Diego Comic-Con and get up in front of 250 people who want to be doing this stuff right. and, and won't be doing this stuff unless someone inspires them, unless someone gives them the right information. And along the way, I met people like David. I met, you know, other creators who had the right info and they had the right attitude and they were going to be inspiring to creators. And so I brought them with me. And so let's get five of these people up in front of a, a con panel right, right. and let's inspire the hell out of these people and tell them how this is possible. All yeah. you have to do is this and all you have to do is one foot in front of the other and all that stuff. And so I, I love the mission. And I think um, you know, when, when I reached out to you to do this, uh, that was that was what I, I, I saw like a kindred Spirit. A spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I talk in, in the beginning of the book about how my sincerest hope is that everyone who reads the book will eventually choose to become a quote unquote sensei themselves and go on to uh, inspire others by teaching them what they learn from the book. But but each one of their stories is going to be different because it's going to be predicated on their individual life experience, some of which is probably more interesting or compelling or um has the ability to affect a, a specific individual or group of individuals, maybe even more than mine does. And I, I talk about how that never ending circle of becoming inspired and going on to inspire others. So they in turn can inspire others at infinitum. That is at the core of the way of the Cobra. Oh, someone had walked up to me at uh, San Diego and said that they had done a successful Kickstarter Right, because they had seen Ryland and I do a panel on Kickstarters, and, and it you inspired them to do their own yeah, thing. And that's yeah, all, that's all you want from that experience. If yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's gone even further than that because I have had. Um, there was a guy, uh, Omar Mora, who was sitting in my panel, one of my panels, a few years back. And, um, and we'll give our spiel and there's usually not enough time afterwards for all the questions that need to be answered. So I, I always tell everybody, Hey, we're going to be standing outside for about an hour. Come, come, right. talk, come see us. Any questions you have? And, and this, this guy, Omar, very smart guy comes up to me. And he's like, Hey, I'm working on this comic book. He's shown it to me on an iPad. Uh, uh, you know, what advice do you have? What do you think I should do with this? And, and, you know, we talked for maybe about a half hour there. I gave him a card we corresponded over email. I helped him a little bit with this or that. And, you know, long story short, he comic was released, big success. I think it's uh, got a movie option now, all of those wow. things. So, so that's great. And I played some tiny, you know, thimble role yeah. in, in that thing. However, the, the real amazing thing was a few years later, I was able to have Omar on a panel as a creator oh, that's great. That's at, great. At, at San Diego Comic-Con. And, you know, again, like a few years before he was sitting on the other side being like, how the hell do I do this? Um, that, that makes it all worth it. You know? You, know, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that it's really important to be of service and, you know, one of the best ways of doing that is to to help people without any thought to, um, you know, any any kind of uh, um, gain or anything for yourself. I mean, you know, you do it because it's the right thing to do. And I, I really believe that it, it, it doesn't just uh, create good karma for you. But I, I think, you know, if we all lived our life that way, you know, if we all did our best to go out of our way to help others when we can, uh, the world would be a much better place. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's, uh, you know, it has to start on a grassroots level. It has to start, uh, with you. And, and that's terrific that you were doing that. And you know what, you'll probably have now helped create, take a, take a really creative guy, helped him to, you know, elevate his position. And hopefully he will remember that you did that and in turn pass it on to the next young kid. Yeah. Paid forward.
every every time I do something like that, every time I spend an hour on the phone with someone that wants to break into movies or comic books or someone's kid who's about to go to my alma mater, right. give them advice on that. They when they all say like, "Why are you doing this?" and I say, "People were people helped me." Exactly. And I yeah. like everything good that happened to me happened because someone turned back and reached out a hand yep. and you have to turn back and reach out a hand. The worst people in the world are the ones that pull up the ladder after them. Uh, yeah. And I have no respect for that. It's Absolutely. like the people are like, no, it was hard for me. So it should be hard for you. It's like, no, it was hard for me. So it should be easy for you. You know, you listen, listen, me, I, mean, I learned the shit. So you don't have to go through it. I mean, you know? look, you help somebody up and if they're not able to, get themselves up to the next rung or have firm footing on where you help them up the, the the universe will deal with them and send them back to the back of the line to go learn a little more or something it, you know but you don't have to be the arbiter of whether or not they have to go through necessarily the same exact path and difficulty as you do. believe me if they're going to make it in this business or any other business they will encounter their challenges and obstacles it is exactly. irrefutable and it's inescapable you know exactly. it's a, yeah. but it, but they don't have to walk two miles right. of school in the snow like we did it's fine i can <laughs> give them a ride in my car just that one time yeah you know and and hope they do better next time absolutely i did want to ask uh, before i let ryland loose on the karate kid uh, <laughs> and me, uh what was the what was the process of i mean i know you said 15 years you don't have to tell the whole story but what was the process what was the break that got uh your your show on the air that got studio city on the air i guess if i had to plot out the benchmarks of what happened i was asked to collaborate on a tv series with somebody mm -hmm. and in this case, I did have some um, ulterior motives, but in a good way. I was going to convince these guys that really what they needed to do was get on board with my show. And so they initially hired me for their show, and I very quickly started turning creatively the vision that they saw. So we got a little money right away to start developing mine and refining it into more of a, of a package. I then went to um, a director who I'd worked with in several films named Timothy Woodward Jr. I went to him ostensibly to go talk about doing bigger roles in his film. And we somehow got on the conversation about um, how he, he you know, was interested in television. And I said, well, you know, I think I've got a project that could be interesting for you and he said listen if i like it i'll fund it and we've all heard that before and eight weeks later we were in production wow. uh he liked it um, my wife michelle has been absolutely indispensable as a producer as a writer um so you know really it was a function of uh it was a function of joining forces with a couple of other very talented people and you know i i was pretty tenacious i mean i you know i have not given up on it and um you know uh i i was fortunate to assemble a really talented cast a lot of whom i've worked with before many of whom have won you know numerous awards and are recognizable actors who, and they were willing to do this for you know peanuts uh to support me and uh the material really appealed to them and you know, once we started getting feedback from the people that had seen it and, you know, we got nominated for 19 Emmys our first year. And, uh, you know, it, it, that certainly does make things easier when you, you've got that little cachet, but it's still a labor of love. I mean, it's still, I'm listen, believe me, I'm carrying in boxes to craft service. You know, I'm handing the grip stuff in between doing my scenes. I mean, it's, it's whatever needs to get done. Um, and that's pretty much everyone else's attitude. Who's, who's on the show. I, I see you've got, uh, Sarah, Sarah Brown is on the show. Yeah. Who, uh, I wrote for VR troopers back in the day. Oh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> Sarah plays my, uh, my half sister on the show. She's absolutely terrific. 
And uh, we've got, you know, Carolyn Hennessy is on the show and Tristan Rogers is on the show. He won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actor last year. My, my beautiful stepdaughter, Juliet Vega, is on the show and plays my daughter. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got just some, some tremendous talent uh, on the show and uh, really excited for everybody to see these new episodes that are coming up. They should be up and available on Amazon Prime on or around March 25th. We have six new episodes. And that's nice. the second season, third? This is, the, this is the second season. Okay. Yeah, Sarah and I just reconnected on Instagram because I posted a picture of her action figure. Oh my God. And I didn't even tag her in it. So I just said, yeah, I, you know, she was my favorite when I worked on this show. And she was like, hi, David, in the comments. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's delightful. I remember liking her very much. Yeah. Uh, oh, VR troopers. Working together. Yeah. She's terrific. But, uh, Ryland, uh, do you, there, do, are there questions you need to ask? There are questions I need to ask. I, I warned you about this coming in. You got, you got about 10 more minutes to ask them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am, you know, as as the 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 listeners uh, know, I am the, uh, the biggest Karate Kid guy in the entire universe world um all of that stuff and so okay. now i'm sitting down with uh with mike barnes uh i i you know i have questions i guess both for sean and for mike um <laughs> if you don't mind so just i, I mean th th there's there's the general question right i mean it's like um i mean as an actor you sort of dream of 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 being a part of something that's like truly iconic right yeah, yeah. um uh just talk to us about what that is like i mean this thing is this thing is bigger than you know it's you know, it's bigger than Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not go that far. You know what I mean? I mean, this is like, this, this is one of the franchises, right? Uh, so, so, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I would run home from elementary school to go have lunch and watch Happy Days. Mm -hmm. And that's where I first was introduced to Pat Morita, who yeah. played Arnold. Uh, I was a guy that bought a ticket to go see the Karate Kid and the Karate Kid 2 in the theater. Yeah. And so um, years later, finding myself filming uh, one of the lead roles in the back lot was truly surreal. How, how old were you? I was 22. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. And, and um, you know, stepping into uh, a franchise that is, you know, an internationally known franchise that's part of the tapestry of, of, uh, not just American, but worldwide cinema is boy. That's that's something very special. Um, now with the you know the huge success of uh, Cobra Kai, uh, it has completely reignited interest in an entirely new generation, and it's reignited interest from you know uh, from a nostalgic fact from guys our age who grew up watching it, and so you know that's really amazing. I mean, this is a character I've played 35 years ago. I've gone on to do many, 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 many other things since then. And to have, to have a, a character that you did 35 years ago still have some relevance is not the norm. Um, right. So I'm, I'm incredibly flattered by it. Uh, I love the Karate Kid Cobra Kai fans. They have been wonderful to me. And I'm really fortunate that I'm kind of a part of two big fan bases. You know, I've got the, the soap opera fans, you know, yeah, right. uh, General Hospital, Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. Bold and the Beautiful is the most syndicated show in the world, you know. And uh, uh, so, again, all over the world, um, I, I've been able to uh, be on people's television screens. And uh, it, it's been really a very special and, and very, um, you know, a very fortunate thing for my career. Yeah, my uh, my second job ever in Hollywood. I was rewriting Robert Mark Kamen, and uh, and and if yeah. I if I ever felt like I had you know made it, quote unquote. Uh, wow, it, it, it was that's a, that's a pretty good name to be rewriting. Yeah, the 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 the, the eight year old inside of me was was going you know berserk. I think it was that, and uh, a few years later, I sat down with Wes Craven, and 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 it was you know maybe there have been some other moments wow. too, but where, where I'm just sitting down and I'm looking around and yeah, I'm like, oh. Yeah. This is weird. This is uh, yeah. Um, uh, so there are stories, and you, you can tell me if these are true. Did you intimidate Ralph Macchio in the audition? Is that how you got the part? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. how, how did that go? Well, I, you know, I John Avelson, who had directed Rocky, won the Academy Award, who had directed the first two uh, Karate Kid films, 
uh, was walking up and down the line of all the hopefuls at the open call, stopped in front of me. You know, I, I talk about it in the book. You know, I see most times um, in life, moments that define your life are the critical mass of a lot of buildup. But when they actually unfold, they unfold generally in an instant. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those moments. I knew I had about 10 seconds at best to get this guy's attention and to convince him that I was the guy for the role. He asked me to do an improv with him and intimidate him. And I did. And, you know, John was a, a diminutive fellow. He was very small. And, you know, I, I, I did it. And I was like, oh, my God, did I go too far? <laughs> and he looked at me for a minute and he said, OK, I buy it. He set me inside and I went inside. And there's Ralph Macchio. They had constructed a set. They asked me to intimidate him. And um, there really weren't any lines. Uh, I just kind of backed him into a corner. And again, I was like, oh, did I go full psycho? And uh, Ralph kind of cracked a smile. And after after saying, you know, get him off, get him off. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, a lot of people don't know this, but I wasn't the first choice for the role. They hired somebody else. The kid worked for about a week and didn't work out. And then they brought me back in and hired me. And, and, and Ralph is what, 10 years older than you at this point? I mean, I don't think he's 10 years because I'm 55, but Ralph okay. is, Ralph, Ralph yeah, is so, 60, he's about yeah, five years. Yeah, so he's about five years. Okay, that, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, that's, um, that, 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 that's funny. Uh, great story. Okay, so, so, so lightning round. I'm trying to do this quick for you. Yeah. Okay, um, was Daniel's karate, in fact, a joke? Was Daniel's karate, in fact, a joke? Um, I, I, I mean, you don't know. I mean, it's just... <laughs> You know, uh, listen, Daniel's karate wasn't a joke because he epitomized the true essence of what martial arts is about. Mike Barnes absolutely did not. Okay. You know, Mike Barnes was, I believe, a superior fighter. He was a national champion. He was, you know, scoring left and right on Daniel uh, until Terry Silver told him to, you know, get a point, lose a point, all that stuff. And then, of course, Mike wasn't the smartest. uh, sharpest tool in the shed he was baffled by a kata but yeah. uh <laughs> but uh you know yeah i mean that, that, that's my next question how utterly confused was mike by that that kata that, that daniel threw at him in the I end mean, it gets into his mind there like what is he thinking like uh, yeah yeah he was he was thoroughly confused and ultimately uh it resulted in his demise yeah so so so, so final question in the lightning round uh, uh, do you, do, does Mike still own, uh, 50% of the Cobra Kai dojo franchise? Well, he doesn't currently own it. That's for sure. <laughs> but, but the question is, you know, does he, was Mike in an actionable position against Terry, Terry, uh, silver, yeah, yeah. uh, and, and was, and was the entire deal predicated on Mike winning? And if you remember, yeah. Mike, 17 year old, Mike wisely said, and I get that in writing. So presumably, <laughs> presumably, Mike, as an adult now, yeah. has a contract somewhere. Wow. So, so yeah. So so you know, I, I mean, this could all be legislated in uh, in season five of a uh, a very popular series on Netflix, right? You never know. You got to just keep the faith and keep watching. You never know. You never know. Um, yeah. And so the, the the final thing before we kind of close out here, um, uh, comic book pitch. Um, now it, it is, it is like an ongoing joke here. You know, Abalone and I are both comic creators and we, we, we do these interviews just like you do. And, you know, I do a couple dozen every year. And the question we always get asked is, okay, well, what character do you want to write, you know, more than anything. Right. Um, and everybody expects like a Marvel or a DC character. I really want to write Superman. I really want to write Iron Man. Mm. Um, and the first couple of times I got asked that question, I would kind of fumble through it. Like, Oh, I guess Moon Knight would be nice or whatever. And so after maybe, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth time I got asked that question, I, I stopped and I'm like, okay, well, I, I need to actually figure out an answer for this question. <laughs> and um, and for me, it's it's not those guys. I, I'll take the Marvel DC jobs, of course. But for me, it was always, I you know, Karate Kid is my favorite piece of media ever. Um, I wanted to tell a Johnny Lawrence story. Like, Johnny Lawrence is my spirit animal. Give me uh, give me the Cobra Kai comic book. Over Dave, you believe this crap? The guy has me on his show. 
He sets up this long fucking pitch. I and think then he's going to say the other guy. And it's Johnny Lawrence. No, but what didn't occur to me until right this minute uh, is that, you know, particularly with, with where Cobra Kai is, is, is headed right now, the, the, IDW has already done the Johnny Lawrence story, what the world needs right now. And what I think I need, and I think what you need too, is I think that IDW needs to come and hire the two of us to do the Mike Barnes story. I love that. I think it's awesome. Here's a pitch. <laughs> Here's a pitch. So alone, Mike Barnes, he trains day and night in martial arts. And by night, he goes out as a vigilante and you know he, he encounters dangerous individuals. But rather than beat the crap out of them, he's actually an anger management counselor. And he gives them counseling. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no, but, 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 but here's the thing is like, so, you know, so, so let's say we're not going to confirm or deny anything, but let's say that we get into where Mike Barnes is today in future seasons of Cobra Kai. I would like to know what has happened. You know, you're talking about 35 years ago right now. Yeah, so so what, sure. ha what happened between him losing that tournament and, 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 and now I think that there are a million stories to be told. So I think that IDW should throw a big chunk of change at you and I to figure that out. Uh, I, I love that idea. Uh, my, my phone is available as we speak. Uh, I've got call waiting. So uh, literally they can call me as we're doing this. I'm going to contact IDW and you may have a call. They, 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 they probably have to get the rights from Sony, but uh, you know, well, they, I mean, they, yeah, but you know, you could just do one called, called Sensei Mike. Yeah, and well, no, good, no, right? no. Here's the thing: is IDW has the Cobra Kai license. They did a Johnny Lawrence comic book. Oh, they, like, oh, they have, yeah, oh, they have the license yeah, for yeah, all. Yeah, of them. Oh. yeah, 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 and and, and 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 they don't know what to do with it right now. What are now. you guys waiting for? Your comic book's <laughs> a joke. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so IDW, expect a call from Sean and I very soon. We're gonna figure this out. Let's together. go pitch it. I'm in. Awesome. All right. I'm totally. Well, hey, you guys, I got a jet because I got another one of these. I want to thank you both so much. It really was oh. a pleasure talking to both of you guys. Our pleasure. Just tell us again, uh, the book is out now. The book is out right now, Way of the Cobra. If you would like to get a signed copy of it, you can get it at wayofthecobra.com. And if not, you can get it on Amazon or get the ebook on Kindle. I promise you, if you take the action that's in the book, you are going to dramatically see a difference in your life. Unleash your inner badass. Awesome. All Thanks right, so guys. Much, you Thanks guys so take care. Wishing you all the best. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. All righty. I think Sean is still on. No, there we go. So let's wrap up. Ryland, where can the where can the kids find you, and what do you got coming up? Uh I'm still uh you know I'm still uh teaming with energy and uh, sure. and, and and love from uh, hanging out with Mike Barnes for an hour. Uh, so give me a. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second to get my stuff together. I, I think Sean and I are going to write uh, Cobra Kai for IDW. So uh, I, I think that's a that's a great idea. So so stay tuned. Uh, I, me personally, I think I think Mike Barnes is either a superhero. He's either a stuntman or like a C level Marvel superhero. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he, like, he's I think they, I think they. I think Mike Barnes becomes a stuntman. And then if he's good, he's like, you know, he goes from henchman to stuntman to eventually, you know, someone makes him. I'm spacing on a guy. I was if if someone wasn't already playing the Punisher really well, I would say Mike Barnes is the Punisher. That's that's <laughs> casting right there. Yeah, I, I I would buy it. He was certainly headed in that direction. Uh, but to wrap up, um, yeah, I am at Rylan Grant on all forms of social media. That's R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunken me drunkenly saddled me with it, and now I have to spell it uh, for you. But uh, my books, uh, the Ringo Award winning Aberrant and the four time Ringo nominated Banjax, are available and find comic shops everywhere and uh, on Amazon, no longer on Comixology, RIP, unfortunately. Uh, my astral projection thriller, The Jump, and my Fargo S. Crime drama, The Peacekeepers, are available uh, via Backerkit right now. So if you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, that's the jump one word and the number two, thejump2.backerkit.com, you can go there and that's... Uh, it's a one-stop Ryland Grant shop, uh, con exclusives, autographed copies of everything. So uh, if you're a fan or if you have a mild interest in anything, uh, go get that. Um, as I said at the top of the show, the collected edition of my latest and greatest, the Tokusatsu Joint Suicide Jockeys, is available uh, in fine comic shops right now via SourcePoint Press. So go out and get that and look for uh, 
Mike Barnes, uh, Cobra Kai comic, uh, <laughs> yeah, IDW in, uh, I don't know. We'll call the, the title Barnes is Noble. There you go. <laughs> you, you, you should you should start a service where you just title things because I, you're, I really should I really yeah. should because it, it is my forte. Um, yeah. I can be found at davidavalonefreelance.com. Uh, Elvira meets Vincent Price number five just dropped last week, and it is still available. And it sets up the next series, which is called Elvira in Horrorland. Number one drops in late May. And that will be, we don't know how many of those will be yet, so buy it. So there will be eight of them instead of four of them. And uh, then in July, it looks like my creator-owned comic with Kevin Eastman uh, is landing at Scout Comics. That's uh, Drawing Blood, number one, which should be out in late July, early August. We haven't quite nailed that down yet. That's it. Thank you so much for joining us for the writer's block i think number 61 i want to say number 61 but i'm not sure it is 61 yeah take your care cr your karate's a joke <laughs> if you're watching us on youtube be sure to smash that like button if you're listening to us on apple podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack please leave us a five-star review and wherever you're watching and or listening subscribe 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 we'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the writer's block for more information visit pendantaudio.com thanks for listening <laughs>